Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. It's really cool to be in this space uh, with all of our, you know, church communities worshiping together. So 9.30 people, I hope you enjoyed your extra 30 minutes of sleep. Or maybe you just sat in the parking lot for 30 minutes waiting. But contemporary people, thanks for getting up early. I see you. I wrote it down in the book of life. God will see that. He remembers. Your sacrifice is duly noted, okay? <laughs> but really, I, I, it, it's good to be here with all of you. And to have all of us together as we come to a close of this sermon series. Can you believe that it's already been an entire month of 2023? I can't. Like, where has the time gone? And I think that it's pretty poetic that as we move to uh, having one combined worship service on the fifth Sundays of the month, that the first month of the year would contain a fifth Sunday. So it only seemed good and right that today we would talk about the spiritual discipline of worship. So if you've been with us over the past several weeks, we've been in a series called Brand New, which has focused on spiritual disciplines that we can incorporate into our lives here in 2023 that will ignite our love for Jesus, stretch our love for our neighbors and transform our spiritual lives. And so we've talked about reading scripture, we have talked about prayer, we have talked about fasting, and we have talked about being of service to the church and the world so far. And so like today, we're going to close this series down with the spiritual discipline of worship. A discipline that can and will change our lives forever. And the cool thing is that if you're here today, in person or online, or even if you're listening to this on like Thursday afternoon on the podcast, then you are already engaging in the spiritual discipline of worship. Like, congratulate, good job. Give yourselves a hand. Yeah. <laughs> if you're driving, don't, you know. And that's because I'm assuming that you're here or you're at least listening with the anticipation of experiencing something. Perhaps an encouraging word, a feeling of hope, the, the warmth of being in community with one another. But most likely, you're here seeking to encounter the living God. And that, my friends, is what worship is really, really all about. Worship is the means by which we come into contact with God's presence. Where we come with this holy expectation 
to experience the very real presence of God. And in that experience, we expect that God will move and do something new. See, there's something about being in worship, uh, about being in, in worship spaces, especially those that are beautifully adorned, where it feels different for us than it does just out there mulling around in our mess of a world, right? It's as if there's a very real and tangible closeness to God when we come into these types of spaces. It's what theological people like myself call a thin space. A place where the, the veil between heaven and earth is almost transparent. A place where heaven invades our space, and for a moment, the presence of God is more obvious to us than the mess of our world outside. And the problem comes in because this phenomena almost becomes routine when we are in a church sanctuary. So, so much so that we stop to really notice it sometimes, which is something that we really need to become conscious of. Like when we enter into this space, we are entering into a place where God wants to meet with us. But that's really just the start, the very beginning of practicing the spiritual discipline of worship. Because worship isn't, isn't something that we only do in a sanctuary on a Sunday morning. It isn't something that we only do in a sanctuary at all. A sanctuary is not the only place where we can find that thin space between heaven and earth. See, when we look at the life of believers in the Bible, their lives were often soaked in the act of worship. The entire book of Psalms, all 150 of those things, is a collection of Israelite worship material. If you've been reading along in the Bible with us th this year so far, you'll recall that, that when Moses and the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, when they got to the other side, they had a worship service, not a sanctuary in sight, just the desert, the wilderness. You know, perhaps my most memorable worship experience, you know, where I truly felt the, the presence of God for the first time was out in the woods in eastern Pennsylvania at a United Methodist summer camp. Around a campfire in my late elementary school years, I came face to face with the presence of God and walked away fundamentally changed. Maybe you can think of a place for you where God's presence just seems so much more real. Maybe it's up in the mountains or at the beach. Maybe it's at the Grand Canyon or maybe it's somewhere terribly ordinary like your hometown or the house that you grew up in. See, regardless, these are spaces that remind us of an important truth about God and our relationship to God. God is not constrained to traditional worship spaces. And that means that our worship should not be constrained to them either. Now, don't read between the lines here, okay? I'm not saying that you don't need to go to church and that you don't need to come to this space. You do. 
all right? You got to come here. And you got to come here because it's in this place, in the worship here, where we connect with one another and we are equipped to go and minister to the world around us. So what I am saying, though, is that the spiritual discipline of worship is not a once-a-week deal. It's a daily, almost every moment kind of deal. It's how we are called to orient our lives. It's a posture that we take. So I want to bring us today to the book of Acts, to a story that really illustrates this reality. So at this point in the book of Acts, which is a Acts is the story of how the gospel began to spread after Jesus' death. This guy named Paul, at this point, is traveling around and starting new Jesus communities around the Roman world. And when he and his companions end up in this city called Philippi, there's a pretty famous encounter that occurs. And so this is going to come from Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 16. It says, one day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And so what's going on is that this girl is possessed by a demon of some sort. uh, A demon that is causing a scene. So Paul and his buddies, what you have to understand, they're like, enough with this mess. And that's likely because they're trying to keep somewhat of a low profile. You see, the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities in Paul's day, did not take kindly to the work that Paul was doing. He was typically run out of town, beaten, flogged, and or jailed because of it. And so he's not trying to draw unnecessary attention to himself. And so he does this thing, and he cures this girl of what ails her. But as the old adage goes, no good deed goes unpunished, right? And so we pick right back up, starting in verse 19. It says this, But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. So her owners are now like, What the heck, man? Like, that was our golden goose. That's how we made our money. These guys have done us wrong, and they need to pay. So so when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So our guys are in trouble, right? 
They've been accused, beaten up, and are now in jail, which is not really a good time here or then. But Roman jails were especially not a great place to end up. But take a look at what Paul and Silas do in response to this really unfair treatment that they have received. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he had supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And so Paul and Silas are thrown in like a dirty Roman dungeon, and they decide, like, this is going to be a really great time to have church. What? <laughs> but in this place that they have found themselves, they are there, and they expect the presence of God. And in that, they expect God to move. And, and God does move. They are offered a means of escape which they don't take. Rather, they, they look beyond themselves and instead they use this opportunity as a chance to change this jailer's life forever. See, the jailer was so scared of what his fate would be, having failed to constrain the prisoners that he had been charged with, that he was intent on taking his own life. But rather than escape and leave this man there with his suicidal ideations, Paul and Silas stay and they witness to him. And then they witness to his whole family who are all then baptized. Then eventually the charges end up getting dropped against Paul and Silas and they go on their merry way to complete their mission in Philippi and the rest of the Roman world. But here's the deal. Paul and Silas's lives were steeped in the experience of worship. They, they worshiped every single day in all types of different situations. It was a posture that they took so regularly that it was just natural for them to engage in it during their entire visit to Philippi. See, their formative experiences in worship and really some annoyance with the spirit inside of this girl, I mean, let's just be real, is what led them to set free that woman who was being taken advantage of. Their formative experience of worship gave them the confidence to, to have a worship service in jail and then witness to their jailer. Their formative experience in worship prompted them to, to create space to wonder what would come of the jailer if they had escaped. These are not happenstance or random acts. It's because of the formative experience of worship in their lives. 
You see, Paul and Silas' lives were focused on and soaked in the act of worship. And so much so that they expected God to do something amazing through their visit to jail. And they probably got more than they were actually asking for. You see, worship is the act of holy expectancy where we enter into God's presence. And from that experience, we expect God to move. And what we must realize is that often what God moves is us. Worship is how we meet with the living God so that we are capable of living lives as living sacrifices. Worship is the first step towards our liberation from the shackles of selfish and self-centered living so that we can go about the business of liberating God's people from the chains that constrain them. See, the reality is that God is consistently and relentlessly seeking to be in an intimate relationship with us. God is unceasingly desiring for us to make each and every space that we inhabit a thin space. God wants heaven to invade your ordinary, everyday life because it is in that space where the space where heaven and earth collide that formative and transformative experiences occur. You see, in John's gospel, Jesus tells us to worship God in spirit and in truth. In the book of Romans, Paul tells us this in chapter chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's, uh, Paul's point is that as we take a posture of worship In our lives, in in all of our situations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we are engaging in the act of renewing ourselves and opening our hearts and our minds to God's will for us and for our world. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. And he says that because what we are called to do is to conform this world to God's will and God's vision for God's kingdom. And so what would it look like for you to worship God in your daily life, to have spiritual worship, to take a posture of worship in your life? See, what if the thin space in your world began to multiply? What if your car, if your, your front or back porch, your kitchen, your, your neighborhood, your whatever it is, started to be less of a space where the world wears on your soul and more of a place where you encounter the living God and are moved to bring the kingdom of heaven a bit closer to this world that we live in? Last Monday night, I went and I brought uh, a message of recovery 
from addiction to about 50 men in the Martin County Jail. They all live together in this pod called the God Pod, where they engage in spiritual stuff all day long. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think they ministered to me. You want to talk about a thin space right there in jail. These men praying, talking to me about how they feel called to ministry. It was holy. And seeing what God is doing in and through a, a bunch of guys who made a bunch of mistakes. See, there's real transformation happening in there. And I could feel it. You see, a posture of worship orients our lives around God rather than around ourselves, regardless of where we find ourselves. Paul and Silas were worshiping God in the synagogue. They were worshiping God in the marketplace. They were worshiping God in the jail and then in the home of their former captor. There were no limits set around it by their geography or by their situation. And so the question is here in 2023, are you going to be like Paul? Are you going to worship God on Sunday morning, or are you going to take a posture of worship and let heaven invade your space, all of your space, and move you into a new, more God and others-focused future? Because I promise that if you do, if you take a posture of worship, then you are going to be changed. And so will the world around you. So would you pray with me? God, we come here today and we do worship you. We worship you in spirit and truth. But God, we pray that you would show us how to incorporate the worship of you in spirit and in truth into all the areas of our lives. The broken places, the hurting places, the joyful places, the places of celebration, and the places of pain. God, would you show us how to lead your people as we take on a posture, an attitude, an orientation of worship in the midst of our broken world. That through our worship, that we would be beacons of light and love. That we would bring the real and true image of Jesus Christ to those who desperately seek to know that there is something to hope for in this world. Lord, we love you and we praise you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.